Hey everybody, this is Tyson Perez with the One Degree Podcast. The difference in water and steam is one degree. One degree is a small change that can make a big difference. Join me as I interview a new athlete every week and hear what they did to get to where they are and what that one degree difference was for them. Welcome into the newest episode of the One Degree Podcast with special guest Mike Yastrzemski. Mike is a professional baseball player for the San Francisco Giants and is also the grandson of the great Carl Yastrzemski. Mike played his college ball at Vanderbilt University and was actually drafted three times before eventually signing with the Baltimore Orioles in 2013. You can follow Mike on Instagram at MikeYaz18. You can also follow the One Degree Podcast Instagram at OneDegreeTP or go to OneDegreeTP.com for more episodes and more information. Yeah, so the first time um, we recorded an amazing episode we had a good conversation about 45 minutes an hour talking about all this stuff and i was about ready to send it to the editor and i accidentally deleted it i don't know how i did i don't even want to i don't even want to think about this again but i accidentally deleted the whole entire episode so you being the great guy that you are you were like hey man don't worry about it i had such a great time doing it last time let's just do it again so here we are thanks for doing it again with me yeah, last time like it was good, but we can we can do better, I think. You bet. So, um last time we 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 uh kind of started off with the 2020 season how it was just a little bit different. Um, you know, especially you being a in like a family guy, not being able to have all that, especially like the guys who like just got called up 2020, it was a lot different experience cuz they didn't get their first game to deal um like with their family there and then also with like the big crowds and like the changing of the game you know eighth ninth inning when the crowd can really shift the momentum of a game you didn't have it really that year can you kind of explain what this year was like versus versus last year yeah I think the first and foremost just it was strange in in terms of routines and figuring out what you needed to do how to be ready for the game how to be ready on a daily basis how to take these new new routines in stride, which is basically the testing. You can only be there for a certain amount of time before the game. You can only be there for 45 minutes after the game. And those things for me were a little bit tough, but off the field, it was easy. You know, I, I like to spend a lot of time with my wife and, you know, sometimes we'll explore new cities if we go to a place we haven't been before. But other than that, we're, we're not doing a whole lot. So it didn't really change that. And then on the other point, you know, these guys that were getting called up for the first time, it, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking, you know, because you enjoy that moment so much and you cherish it. And it's not just about you. It's about everybody that put in so much for you to get where you are ending up in that moment. And it's, it's tough because like, those are the moments you cherish, you know, you don't get that first game back and you don't get to, take pictures with your family on the field afterwards or bring everybody down to the tunnel after the game and have all that excitement and joy because especially for someone like me who had to really grind to, to get to the big leagues, it, it takes a tribe. You know, it's not just your own work. It's, it's your parents, it's your siblings, it's your significant others. It's, you know, sometimes it's your kids. There's, there's a whole different scenario that comes into play that, not everybody got to enjoy this year, which was a big bummer. That's what I hear a lot from uh, a lot of these guys that have made it, even even some of them that have had a lot of success at the highest level, which you have so far in your you know short career. But 
how important it is to have family and to have help that they didn't do it, you know, on your own, how, how you just said, like it was um, a tribe or how they talk about, like, it takes a village to raise a, 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 a child. Like it takes a lot of help for somebody to make it to the big leagues or to make it to the NFL or to have a successful business. They have a lot of help along the way. So if you're struggling or you feel like you don't have any help, don't be afraid to ask somebody or don't be afraid, you know, to lean on the people that will be there to help you. Which is funny, that kind of just coincides with the entire year, right? Like everybody's trapped and cooped up and is not happy. There's a ton of like mental instability that's going on, even for people that haven't had any mental issues in the past. And it's probably one of those like most humbling things is asking for help and figuring out how to ask for help. And you just have to like completely let your guard down. And that's kind of what it's like going through that process. Like, grinding and you need help like I stayed with countless host families and like was like con- like playing connect the dots to figure out if I could find somebody in the next town that I was getting moved up to or moved down to and being like hey do you know anyone here do you know anyone here and it somehow worked out and I got lucky I literally stayed in the host family at every step of the way so that's like that's crazy to think that a lot of guys have to go through and find apartments and stuff like that. I would, I would have been out of the game so quick. Like I would have been so broke being a senior sign, having to find a way to go through six seasons. Like you can't make enough money in lessons or working a job during the off season to survive the season. So my wife worked four jobs at one point to make sure that we could eat. Um, and she's a, she was a trooper. And to have somebody like that by your side is just like, just super humbling and really, for me was the only way that it was going to get done. Mm -hmm. And you need that. And I think that like 90% of all guys that get drafted, signed, whatever it is, need that in order to make it, you know, there's a very, very select few that, you know, sign for three, four, five million dollars. They get all the help in the world. Agent hooks them up with department, all this, but most guys have to rely on uh, off season jobs um, the host families, help from their wives, help from their parents, whatever it is in order to make it. And it's a grind. Minor leagues is a grind when you make it a job too, right? Like if you try, yeah. like who's going to hire you for like three months, plus you have to pick specific hours because you got to work out and try and get ready for the next year. Yeah. Or you're trying to give lessons in the off season when it's like 40 degrees outside and the sun's only out for like two hours. You just yeah. can't do it. And the kids are in school when that, when that's going on too, you know? So it's like, you can't do it. You got to, then you're paying rent to a place to give lessons at their facility. And it's like, that's a mess. Yeah. But it just makes you like so strong as a person, like so much better athlete and everything. And, um, you didn't have it easy. Uh, you were a senior sign, very, very talented guy. Um, you could have got a lot of money, um, coming out of the draft, but you stayed and you wanted to get your education. We'll get into that a little bit longer, but when you did finally get that call up to the big leagues, knowing everything that you've been through, um, and your grandpa obviously being, um, you know, the great Carl Yastrzemski, what was that, what was that moment like when you finally got the call up? It was surreal. Um, I got the call at like 1230 at night. Uh, I was just laying in bed, butt naked, you know, just like, I was just like sitting there. I'm like, all right, I got to wake up for a four o'clock bus ride tomorrow morning. And I'm like staring at the ceiling, like, dude, you got to get to bed. Like, this is brutal. And I get a phone call and it was from, it's funny. I didn't have my manager's number at the time because I got traded and we're like, were you in sack at, were you in sack at this point? Yeah. 
Okay. And so I got, I had like, we played 35 games maybe, and you don't typically need your manager's number for anything. So like, I'm not calling them out of, out of the blue and be like, Hey man, I you don't even you. want your manager's number. Normally you don't yeah. even talk to him. You talk to the pitching coach or the hitting coach. The manager just does his own thing. That's yeah. It. Or, or on the other, like the reverse side of that, if he's calling me, I'm like, Dude, I don't, I don't want to go home. Like, Why I, the heck are you calling me? Yeah. yeah. That. It can only be bad news or good news, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I get a call at 1230 and I was like, Numbers from Oregon. That's weird. Must be a telemarketer. So I put it back down on the table. Like I didn't hit delete. Like I didn't hit end. I didn't stop to vibrate. Like for some reason I just put it down. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, you know, cause I talked to the manager about golfing a lot and he plays band and dunes and you know, he makes this whole trip out and I go, I think Brundy's got an Oregon number. And I was like, Oh shit. I think Brundy's got an Oregon number. So I pick it up <laughs> and I was like, hello. And it was him. And he told me I got called up and like, I just started pacing. Like I was like, I started like shaking, sweating. I'm like, and we had a day game the next day. So it's 1230. I'm two hours away from San Francisco. They're going to have a car there at seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. I'm like, this is like, this is not winding up for me to have success in my first day. Like this is kind of, but I'm like, all right, I don't don't care. I could, I'd go punch out four times and a punch out in the big leagues is better than a homer in the minor leagues. Yeah. So I was like, all right. Like, so I called my wife and called my mom, my mom. I had to call her like three times cause she's on East coast time. So it was three o'clock in the morning. Uh, they both just started bawling hysterically and it was like so cool to have those moments. And they both packed their bags up instantly. And the giants had booked them flights to go out like immediately first flight from Nashville and from Boston. And so they both flew in and made it. I slept about 15 minutes that night. <laughs> <laughs> just like tossing and turning anxious. You didn't need any sleep though. You didn't no. need, you were ready to go. No, you don't need sleep. And <laughs> I remember like my biggest nervous moment was being out in left field before the game. Cause all the guys are like, Hey, you got to go take fly balls. I know it's a day game, but like <laughs> never played in this stadium. It's got crazy wind. And I'm like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, this is going to be a disaster. Like I'm going to get hit the first fly ball of the game. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> and uh, that was actually what I was most nervous about. I, I was nervous to get a ball and I'd always been known as a defensive player. Like I, I never really like tore up the minor leagues. I tore up like the, the lower levels and double a, a year or two, but never really, I, for some reason, I just never hit like 320 or, you know, I never hit 30 homers, whatever. And it just didn't like, I was like, I'm going to go make a defensive play and I'm going to keep our team in the game. That's, that's my game. And they're like talking this field up, like nobody can play this outfield. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the one thing that I'm supposed to rely on and I can't even do it now. So it was, it was a whirlwind and just like seeing a big league stadium inside like pregame for the first time is like, just like eye opening. Like my jaw was like, I was like dragging my jaw all over the place. Like this place <laughs> thick. And that stadium is beautiful too, you know? Yeah. That is it. That is one of the more interesting. Normally, uh, you'll get the car like during the day or after the game, um, and the manager will be able to get like the whole locker room together if it's somebody's first time, and announce it, and then everybody kind of, you know, celebrates together. But you getting in like twelve o'clock in the middle of the night and then not getting any sleep and then going to playing a day game, 
you didn't even really get to kind of like understand what happened until probably like after the game, you got to sit back, you know, see your family and your wife and everything. And then actually, actually get to realize what had happened that you just played in a big league stadium for a big league team. Yeah. And I, I think I went to bed at like seven o'clock that night. I was so tired and just like, I get, I get drained by emotions. And so there was like just this massive roller coaster of emotions that were going on. Like, Mm -hmm. like happiness, fear, you know, excitement, everything's going on. And it just like, it wore me out, but I forgot, I forgot this part of the story. So Friday morning, one of my buddies that I played in college with Sam Selman, he went to Vandy. He was in a host family house, like right down the road from me. That was my host family's like brother or something like that. And he was going to pick me up at four o'clock in the morning. So I called him to let him know that he wasn't going to pick me up. I was like, Hey man, like I'm, I'm not going to ride with you to the field tomorrow. He's like, Oh, why? It's like, Oh, well I got called up and he goes, Oh bud, I'll be right over and he <laughs> sprinting over. He literally sprinted over. It was like two streets over and we, uh, we drank a glass of whiskey before, <laughs> you know, like I like one o'clock in the morning before I was going. So I was like, might as well. Gotta celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. You got to celebrate it. That's awesome. It's so cool. Like, you know, when, especially when you're at AAA, like half of the team has been in the big leagues and they'll be in the big leagues that whole year up and down. The other half is, you know, guys like you and me that, you know, early 20s, kind of late 20s, never been to the big leagues are just grinding. And then when one of those guys gets called up, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter like if you're you know, kind of upset that it wasn't you, something, it, it really doesn't matter because you're just so happy for that person because yeah. of such a big step it is from the minor leagues to the big leagues. Like it is unreal. Like I thought that, you know, like double A AA to triple A was a big step or whatever, but like when it comes to like money and like the, like the atmosphere and the playing, like just the emotion, it's, it's unbelievable. And you're just so happy for anybody who has it. Like, just showing your buddy just ran across the street yeah. to you know, like celebrate with you because he was he was probably just as stoked. Yeah, because he he was in the same boat actually, but he'd been in the minor leagues for eight years. So he we were the same class. He signed junior year, went through his seven years with the Royals, and then the Giants signed him as a minor league free agent. And he like, he knows the grind, you know, like he, he'd been through it. He'd been on every bus ride you could possibly be on. And uh, he ended up getting called up later that year, which was cool. And he spent most of the the rest of that year kind of like up and down. And then he spent almost all last year up with us. So, um, you know, just really cool to see that. And that's part of, part of the coolest thing is like, I actually enjoy other people getting called up for the first time more than I enjoyed it myself. Mm -hmm. Like being able to see guys, come in and like have that moment you know like it's special and you get to kind of be witness to it and you get to see the excitement the nervousness and like it's kind of fun to mess with those guys a little bit like I remember my first game like we were about to run out on the field and you know belt looks at me and he's like hey don't mess anything up and I was like (laughs) oh okay I'll try not to and like looking back and knowing him now it's like it's just guys like kind of like just digging daggers into those emotions, like knowing that it's going to turn your stomach completely upside down. And it's like, it's fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who had, who had the biggest impact on you when you got up there, like from the team who helped you out the most, who kind of like put their arm around you? Um, Probably uh, Evan Longoria. You know, I'd, I'd met him twice before 
and I met him in Nashville and uh, one of my buddies, Kurt Casale, who actually just signed with us, he, uh, he played with the Rays and so we knew him. So, you know, I, I knew Longo a little bit. And so kind of having that little bit of, you know, familiarity helped a little bit. And he, he knew that he, he wanted to make sure that I was comfortable and, you know, able to help out. And so it was, it was fun to have someone like that kind of show you what it's like to be a pro. Yeah, especially him too. That's a big name guy. That's like not just any like Joe Schmo. Like you're going to listen <laughs> right. to what that guy says. Yeah. No, I mean, every step of the way and having, having someone who's got like, we'll call it clout, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. clout, you know, it's like, um, you know, he's got all the accolades. He's an all-star. He was rookie of the year in 08. Um, just an all around stud, have them be a normal human being to you, like at the field. Like it's one thing when you meet them off the field, you know, and, and the guys are, because most, most professional athletes are regular, normal human beings. You get your every once in a while, one or two guys will think they're bigger than the world, but for the majority showy guys, yeah, like for the majority, it's great people. Mm -hmm. And to, to see him still maintain that personality and it was actually who he was at the field was super cool. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like you're just a, a no name guy, you know, people, you know, kind of know you because of your grandpa. Um, but then also your dad, he was a really great player mm -hmm. and, um, you, you know, you, you guys were super close how we talked about last time, but you know, unfortunately you lost your dad in 2004, which was super tough on you. And you, you, you had learned a lot from him. Um, when you did finally make it, was there like any thought or anything that you learned from him that helped you like in those first couple of days or like, did you ever have like, I know that you thought of him when it when it all happened that was like the first person that you know you you kind of like talked to even though you physically yeah. didn't get to what was what was that experience like for you um th those are like the super special high emotion levels where it was like I can have that full conversation and it can be at any moment you know and so that was he was like instantly the first person I thought of and the the ways that he impacted my game were huge, but my life were huge. And mostly what I took from him was how to play the game. You know, he used to tell me when I was a kid that he would rather hit a triple and run hard and bust his ass on a big slide into third base than jog around the bases after hitting a home run. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took that to heart when I, when I was growing up and learning how to play and always running hard and like learning to love the game. You know, because that essentially the only reason I kept playing is because I loved it. And that was probably the thing that kept me going most. And that's also why I went back to, to college um, my senior year. I promised him that I would go to college and I'd graduate because he had mm -hmm. an opportunity to go to Stanford or to Florida State. And he went to Florida State because there was a, a coach that he liked that was going to Florida State that was at Florida State. Turns out that guy took a, the head, I think it was the head coach or the hitting coach, something like that with the Yankees the year my dad got there and he was gone. It's like, dude, this sucks. And so he never ended up graduating. He was like one class short or something like that. And it haunted him, you know, and he always regretted it. And he told me that he wanted to make sure that I knew that that was never going to happen for me. And so that was like the biggest thing that pulled me back to Vandy um, along with, Vandy being Vandy, you know, like you can't. Well, and, be, and because you got drafted at a high school, you were a really, really sought out young player and actually got drafted by the Boston Red Sox, a team that your grandpa played for for 23 years, Hall of Fame member. But you never 
it it never even entered your mind that you wanted to sign because you wanted to go to Vandy because you wanted to play there number one and then you also wanted to get your education then you get drafted after your junior year um very high by another team who'd you get drafted by Seattle Seattle yep Seattle but you stayed for your senior year because you wanted to get your education because it was important to your to your dad yeah and that was a crazy story too that was like I have these pretty unconventional ways of how I ended up like at my decisions and (laughs) my so I'm talking to my agent and uh you know they they offered me I think it was like 175 just like right off the bat it was 30th round so this is the first year of the the new draft rules too so the slots and you know how much money anybody could put into any player and so they said we've got a third rounder we're trying to sign them but if we don't sign them we'll give you everything that we have left over i was like all right that sounds cool so we go through the whole summer don't talk to the mariners like one time i'm not even playing I'm just sitting at home, going to the beach, having a good time, like getting ready for my senior year, thinking like, yeah, like no brainer, I'm going back to school. So then they call me back the the day before and they said, All right, we didn't sign the guy, we can give you two twenty-five. Or no, 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 I said, well, we can give you one ninety. And I'm like, no. And I knew that didn't add up. I'm like, this that's not how this works. So I said, okay, well, we'll talk tomorrow. Tomorrow's the deadline. And they changed the deadline to 4:30 Eastern time or whatever it is. And I'm like, all right, like whatever. So next day comes in, they say, okay, we can do 2:25. And like, yeah, it's that's not gonna do it. So they don't call me until like the dead, let's say the deadline's 4:30. I think it might have been 5:30. And they call me back at five and they're like, all right, we can do 250. I'm like, no, it's not enough. Like, I'm sorry. And then they call back 270. I'm like, no, they call me. They call me back with two minutes left in the deadline. It's 458 or whatever. Yeah. Let's just call it 458. Cause I don't know the exact time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, like 300 grand. Like that would do so much for me right now. Like that's in my position. I'm like, that's life changing money right now. Like I, it's, that's crazy. So I call my grandfather and he says, you know, cause he, I was talking to him throughout the whole time and he's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good chunk of change. If, if you feel comfortable doing it, like this is your decision, but that's good money. And I'm like, all right. So he, and he's like, see if you can get 350. So I call my agent real quick. I'm like, can they do 350? Calls him back. He's like 300 final offer. You have to tell me right now I have to call them back. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'll sign. And he goes, are you sure? And I go, nope. I'm not. No, I can't do it. <laughs> so like I told my, I'm probably, I probably drove my agent absolutely bananas this day. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. No, wait, no, no, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And so he called him and told him I wasn't going to sign. So I went from like in my, my now wife was my girlfriend at the time. She was downstairs with my mom. I can hear them like sobbing because they don't know what's going on. I like, I can't keep them in the loop and be making all these calls at the same time. And I'm like, my head is spinning. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? Like, I'm like, oh. I'm, like I'm never going to play baseball again. Like, I'm going to go have my senior year and that's it. But uh, it worked out. Ended it, up, it ended up being exactly what you, what you wanted and it ended up working out for the better. 
Yeah. Other, other than the, the whole six year stint, the, the six year <laughs> hiatus that I took right after that, you know? Hey, but the grind will only make you better off in the future. So, so you're good. It, it 100% you, prepared me. You learned a lot from your dad in, you know, such a kind of a short time that, that you had him, which is super unfortunate. Um, but there was something that he told you and you remember it clear as day. Mm-hmm. And it was almost about like one of the most basic things ever, probably that every couple has this argument every night about what to do, but your dad taught you some of the, some of the best life lessons that still stick with you today. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I, I can't possibly forget it. Uh, I remember the car we were in the stoplight we were at is literally this like three-way stop sign where right by my aunt and uncle's house. And he, he said, what do you want for lunch? And I said, I don't know. And he said, no, no, no. Like you have to make a decision. What do you want for lunch? And I told him, I don't know. And he, he kind of pressed me and he's like, this is something that you're going to have to understand in life. Like you're going to have to learn to make decisions. And this is, this was the most simple way that he could get me to understand it. And it worked like this is 15 years later. And I'm, it's probably more than that. It's probably, I think I was 10 years old. So it was 20 years ago. And it stuck with me so heavily that I had to learn to make decisions and decide what I wanted in life. And it's funny saying that after this story, because it ended up happening. Like I jumped ship and said, I wanted to sign, but I realized that wasn't what was what I really wanted. And I was lucky to have my agent in that moment because he wanted to double check with me to make sure, cause he knew where I stood and he knew that I didn't want to sign in that situation. And it, it worked out the way it was supposed to. I got, I got to get my degree and that was the, the best tribute I could have ever given my dad. It's even way better than making it to the big leagues. Um, and that's just, that's one of those things. Cause you have those conversations every night, like the, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. And then like 45 minutes later, you guys are both just sitting on the couch, staring at your phones and you forgot you were even talking about food. So it's like, it, it's one of those things that it hits home, you know, and, and, being decisive and understanding what you want in life is so important. And that's what keeps you moving in the progressive direction. It keeps you working hard. It keeps you steady on the grind. You know, it it makes things flow better in life. And I think it's just really, really important for human beings to understand what they want. And it gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of commitment and we end up feeling better about ourselves and, it's a, it's a good life lesson that I will never forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people get kind of get stuck in, they don't, they don't know what they want and they, and they constantly tell themselves, I don't know. I don't know to where it literally gets like engraved in their brain that they don't know. They and that's don't a, know that's what a they crippling want. statement too, right? Yeah. Like you think about it, like you freeze in those moments. And so like trying to eliminate that as early as possible, I think is super powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's with everything. And it's like, um, you know, people are afraid to, you know, kind of take a leap or, you know, try something different because it like hasn't been done yet, or they're afraid of what like other people might say. And so then they get into that, uh, you know, kind of predicament of, should I do it? Should I not do it? And then they get to start thinking about all the bad stuff that could happen from it instead of just like right from the beginning, making a decision, doing it and just running with it. And then after you do it and you have success, then you can kind of adjust from there and then be able to do whatever needs yeah. to be done then. 
it's like that gut feeling, you know, usually when you, when you stick to your gut, like good things somehow come of it, mm-hmm. like it might not be right away. It might not be even weeks or months later, but like when you follow your gut, typically you should end up where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Was your grandpa kind of like that too? Was he like your dad? I know, I know that there, there's a, <laughs> there's some stories at the dinner table and stuff. Yeah, let you, no, let you say that. How was he? My dad was, was like goofy, you know, like he, he loved having fun and having a good time and like bringing people around him. Like anybody who's in his circle, like he brought him as close as he possibly could. Like if he had, if he had a hundred dollars in his pocket and that was the only money he had left in the world, it was getting spent on everybody around him. You know, it'd be like, you know, let's, let's go buy fishing poles and go fish or I'm buying a round of golf or I'm buying a round of beers. Like whatever it was, was like about the group and the community around him that he was surrounded by my grandfather was so like hyper focused like and I think that's what made him such a special and gifted player was that he had this ability to be dialed in at every single moment and he he did it throughout his entire life and that was just kind of who he was as a person I think that's why he ended up having his success and it I really noticed it at first when we used to work out on on Sundays and we'd go hit for an hour or two. We go to dinner. There'd be 10 people at dinner. It'd be like my aunts and cousins and stuff. And he'd just be sitting there like dead silent, just like at the end of the table, just like eating kind of like leaning over his plate, almost like face in it. And people are trying to talk to him. He's not responding. Like he's, he won't even like look up at you. And everyone's like, "Ah, all right, whatever. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's like, Mike, get in your stance. I'm like, dude, I'm eating. Like, no, like I'm not getting up right now. He's like, no, get up in your stance. I'm like, all right. And then he'd make me do whatever we were working on. I was like, yeah, okay, good, good. And it was, he was like replaying it over and over and over and over. It's like four hours later. And I'm like, why, why is he doing this? Like in that, but that was who he was. Like he would be, he would hit BP so early and he'd be like, he'd have someone come out and, and focus on throwing whatever pitch he was going to see that night. Like whatever the guy's you know, whatever the guy's out pitch is, like he'd see it over and over again. Or if he wasn't feeling the right way, he would make sure he got the right feeling. And he he did it with everything in his life. And that's just how he he lived. And it comes with like give and take, you know. So when you when you put that much commitment and thought and time into baseball, like sometimes it can take away from from off the field. And that's where where that community comes in as well, where your your family has to give. And it's it's all about sacrifices. And and they all made sacrifices so that he could be the best that he could possibly be. And it, it worked out being a 23 year hall of fame career, which is it's like uncanny, unheard of, whatever, any, any adjective you can have for that, it probably applies. Cause it's just like, it's not happening again. <laughs> yeah. He's been a bit of a perfectionist, right? Like he wanted just to know all the information about like, I wonder how he would be in this day and age playing with all the, like all the information that you have, you know, like, like at your disposal. I wonder if he'd be like against it or he would just gobble up everything and try to get like perfect launch angle with spin rate and all this stuff. How do you think he'd be? I don't know. I, I think he'd be more on like the, like the scouting side. You know, I don't think he would watch himself as much as he would watch like other pitchers, Yeah, um, you know, defensive positioning and any sort of thing. Cause he would look at that and be like, cause he wasn't a guy that would, he is, he's stubborn, but in the game he would do whatever he could do to win. He was, 
way more competitive than he was stubborn. So if like guys started playing the shift on him, he would hit 700 ground balls to shortstop before the game. Probably, you know, like something like that, where it'd be like things that guys aren't completely doing today, but I think he would have been unreal. He may have never talked to anybody for his entire life. Like he may have been mute because he'd be so like engulfed by locked in. Yeah. Just so dialed in on everything, but he, um, you know, I'm sure he still would have been a stud. Oh, for sure. Especially just the, the way that he loved the game and he, and he played the game. It just sounds like he just wanted to just be the best because that's what, you know, like he enjoyed doing, like, you know, he enjoyed winning. He enjoyed playing the competition. Uh, do you think that I, some I wonder guys- about that? Like, I wonder if he wanted to be the best, you know, like I'm not, I'm not positive about this. This is one of the things I yeah. kind of think about every now and then is like, did he want to be the best or did he just want to be better than himself every single day? I would, le- I would lean towards that. Like, I think that it was more about being better than he thought he was and like, yeah. really like getting better every single day and never taking a step back. I, I think, and I think like drove him more. Yeah. And I think that's what makes you one of the all time best is like, you know, kind of understanding that you are only in, you're only in competition with yourself, you know, like you can only be as good as you want to be or that you can be like you can't do other things that some hitters might be able to do or some pitchers might be able to do like you have to do what makes you the greatest and that's why he was so great is because like like how you just said like he wanted to be better than himself like he wanted to make himself better um you know just like like tom brady blinders on right yeah exactly yeah, like where you just like your tunnel vision, you're just kind of like, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm better than myself today. Yeah, yeah. And then you're not getting like any other, you know, kind of distractions because you're focused on mm-hmm. what you need to do. And that's how, you know, like, like all the greats are Michael Jordan, Tom Brady. I know you love Tom Brady. After kind of my being heart. A, yeah, a New England guy at the Tom Brady's like the greatest thing ever. But, uh, like I was, that's one of the things we have to revisit though, because like I even after having that conversation, I still like I can't pinpoint it, but like the allure around Brady in New England is just like it's stupid. You know, it's like he he could do whatever he wanted and people would love him and he could never do any wrong. Like he's married, he's a smoke show, number one, great looking guy. Number two, his wife is a smoke show. She's makes 10 times more money than he does. And gave, like you were saying earlier, like he gave the Patriots the ability by taking like salary. He didn't necessarily like take a salary cut, but he didn't make anywhere near what he, he should He didn't have to make the 30, 40, 50 million that the guys are taking because his wife was making more than him. <laughs> like by tenfold. Yeah. So yeah. like – like you said, it, like you said it last time. Like Giselle was actually the MVP. Yes, she, she won more of those Super Bowls than Tom did. Yeah, yeah, because they could get all the all those all those other players, and and I mean, I think that's what what like makes him I mean, like so great, especially like Boston, such a huge like sports town with the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Celtics and like everybody like. I just think like East coast people just love their sports teams so much more. Like they are like it, it actually like kind of like drives their life a little bit. Like they just, 
love it. And it's like, it's, 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 it's like a passion and there's a different feel at the games when the fans actually care what happens. Cause I know that you've seen it in the minor leagues, 95% of the games that you play, the people that are watching honestly don't give a shit about what happens. They don't even know who's playing. They're just there. Family entertainment. Yeah. They're just there. But Boston fans are some great fans and New England didn't have that great of a team. And then Tom Brady comes, he looks like a God. He (laughs) is, you know, like last round draft pick. Wasn't he like one of the almost the last round pick? It was like second to last or something like that? I think it was seventh round, sixth or seventh round. He was the 199th pick. 199. Yeah. And then this guy comes out of nowhere and just starts like producing winning championships, like doing whatever it takes for the team. And he didn't get like caught out doing other stuff and like partying or saying something crazy on online or like, like in an interview, all he cared about was winning and to like a great sports fan that's all they want to hear that's all they want to hear and that's like all that they want to see and i think that he he brought that yeah 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 and he brought that like shoot for a long time yeah and then we were talking last time about how he wanted to i don't know if he wanted really wanted to go and play somewhere else but he did because he was like so competitive and he wanted to prove to everybody and himself mostly that he can win without Belichick because it was always always like Brady Belichick Brady can't win with Belichick Belichick can't win without Brady all this and then so Tom goes all right let's see let's see who can win without the other one and he goes to goes to Tampa and makes the playoffs and then poor Patriots don't make the playoffs yeah, you see that stat where it's like Tampa makes the playoffs for the first time since 2007 Patriots miss it for the first time since is yeah. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Okay. Okay. Serious question. Are you a bigger Patriots fan or are you a bigger Tom Brady fan? How, do, how does this fall with you? I'm a, I'm a bigger Patriots fan. Like I, Tom will go down as my favorite football player in history ever, no matter what, like nobody will ever come into the game and change my mind. Uh, nobody's played the game beforehand that I liked more. Um, so like when it comes down to it, Brady is the best player of all time, but I'm, I'm a diehard new England fan and I can't, I can't kick that. Like it was, I watched every game this year and it was painful, man. Like it's just like after being that dominant for so long, like I could, you could like sleep through games and you'd wake up in like the fourth quarter and you're like, Oh, we're up 30 (laughs) again. Okay, good. Like, and just, I was like sweating bullets all year had hope like sixth week. Like I'm like, all right, we can turn it around. We're good. Oh, heartbreak. <laughs> but I'm happy yeah. for him. No, like that's that's part of it too. Is like his his goal is to play longer than anybody's ever played and to be the best player to ever play. And you know, actually, you know, I don't even know if that's true. I don't know if it's true about him wanting to be the best player, but I know for a fact, you know, from from his quotes that he said he wants to play longer than anybody's mm-hmm. ever played. Yeah, that's why he came up with the with the whole TB12 and like how he how he would uh you know he he takes his nutrition very very seriously and his stretching and he's been doing that for years because he wanted to play for so long and I do think that you're right you like this is just like you know, like our opinion we're not speaking for Tom here but I just think that he loves the game so much 
and like he just wants to play it for so long. I don't think that he's in it, you know, like to be the goat or like to have the most, you know, Super Bowls or most passing yards, whatever. He just loves the game and loves the competition so much. Have you seen the? There's like a little documentary about like him. It, I think it was the one where he like got caught kissing his son on the lips and everybody just like freaked out like it was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. But he was on the phone on the and it well and it showed him just like watching film all week, right? Mm-hmm. He's at home watching film, watching film, preparing. And then on, on Sunday on the way to the stadium for the game, he's on the phone with uh, a Josh McDaniel talking about like like plays and like schemes and everything on the way to the field. Like he lived, ate, sleep, drank football. He loved it. Mm, that was it. And that's that kind of just is on the same lines as my grandfather. Like I would think in like that commitment level, like it just takes a different mindset to be that committed to, to your profession, right? Like uh, there's people that do it in every profession. Like there's people in the business world that do it. There's CEOs that are constant, like you can't put their phone down or they're constantly getting updates or they need to be paying attention to the stock market all the time. There's, there's hundreds of different areas of that, that people have that focus and they have that attentiveness and they have that, that care and the passion. And that's just, I, I think it's something in your soul more than in your brain. You know, I think that's something that you're born with because you, you can't just overnight be like, all right, I'm going to care about this. You know, like that's not how we work. You just, they're just things that you don't care about. And there's things that you care about uncontrollably. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Some people love like certain things. Some people, they're like, why do you, why do you even like that? It's dumb. Like it just, it, 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 it really doesn't matter. It just comes down to you, like as an, as an individual, what you love. And if you do what you love, it's going to be great. You know how they say, if you love what you do, you'll never, you'll never work a day in your life. Like I know that you obviously love playing baseball, love being a big leaguer, all this, but it's not all great. Like, it sucks, you know, like the grind, like obviously the whole minor league grind sucks, but it's, it's not great. Like you have to travel and play a game every single day and you don't feel good every single day. Like I have 162 games. What do you feel good? Honestly, maybe like three, five, six. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like the, the baseball saying is like the first game of spring training is the only game of the year that you feel hundred percent. And even then yeah. you're, you're probably still a little beat down. And it's actually probably like the worst game that you played because you feel too good. Like, honestly, I think that you're supposed to play baseball at like 80% because that's just how everybody has success. Like I remember like me pitching, like the times that I felt the great with my great with my arm felt the best, all this really didn't pitch that well. The the days that you feel like crap and you're just like, I don't want to pitch you go out there and you dominate. And that's just, that's just how it is. Like, it's just about like, how are, how are you talking about like with your routines last time and and you're like how how important it is to um like have those routines and to be able to get in them and to do them every single day to prepare you for the game and i think that when you're not feeling your best you want to prepare even more and like kind of lock in even more because your body doesn't feel good and i think that that's why baseball players especially have such like strict regiments and um and rituals that they do because you hardly ever feel good so you have to get your mind like mentally locked in to be able to prepare to prepare for battle 
every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like like how do you wake? How do you take a twelve hour bus ride through the night, get to a hotel at nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning, and then be like, oh, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go play a game tonight at seven o'clock. You know, like if you asked any normal like working person to be like, all right, I need you to travel by bus twelve hours. <laughs> get to your hotel you have like a little bit of time to kind of settle in and then like we're working they'd be like no chance like there's no way that anybody's going to do that and the only food that you had was like at a gas station or like ihop or something because you could walk there Dude, you're the so you're so fired up if you got like a waffle house like if oh, you yeah the waffle house it's like it's gold like everybody's so pumped like everybody can go it's like five in the morning you can wake up instantly and like waffle house let's go like it's not like a Oh my gosh. How many times have you like, how many times have you been like walking down a road in a state that you state or city that you've probably never been in? And it's like 11, 12 o'clock at night, or maybe even like super early in the morning, two or three in the morning. And you're walking down the street because there's a waffle house, like like half a mile away because you need to get some food. That was probably like the most searched food place by minor leaguers, like waffle house. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, they probably have them in these like small cities that there's like 1200 people population like yeah in the middle of west virginia you're like dude there's got to be a waffle house i know they have waffle house here that's a minor league staple that's a minor league says waffle house chipotle lululemon that's like (laughs) that's like the go-tos you know yeah Yeah, you can't you know it's a minor leaguer if you see all of that put together yeah exactly and then but then you get to the big leagues and then you you see how it actually is and everything that you did is just like Oh man, like, like the grind paid off everything. <clears throat> and then you, you actually, uh, was it your first game in, uh, uh, Fenway park or the first series? I don't know what it was, but you yeah. hit a home run in like your first or second game. And then, um, your grandpa throws out the first pitch in one of those games and you catch it. Yeah. Was that, was that in the same game or was it different games or um, just that, that like whole series just had to be amazing for you? Yeah, it, it was. That was the same game. That was the first game, and it was wild. Have you ever been to a game at Fenway? I have not. No. Oh, you got to go. Because, like, the, the buzz at Fenway Park is – there's nothing like it because it's this old concrete building. And, like, when you're walking through the tunnels to get there, like, there's, like, very few accesses to, like, the to the stands. And so like all these new places are big and open and like the sound just circulates and you can hear everything everywhere. When you're in the tunnels, like let's say you're at the concession stand, like you can hear the crowd noise, but it's like this like low hum. And like, as you slowly walk out and you start to see the lights, it just gets like louder and louder and louder. And you can like feel it. Like it's, it's noise you can feel. And it's, it's so special. The place is incredible. And that first, that first game was just like wild. We played 15 innings and my family tells me like, they went from like, this is the best thing ever. This is the best game of my life. Like nothing will ever beat this to like, Oh my God, when's this going to end? Like, I, I got to get out of here. This is brutal. I got to be at work in like six hours. And so they, they hit this like five hour switch where they couldn't believe this was happening to like, I want this to be over so bad. And but it was just like the the Giants and Red Sox both put on a a super classy act and letting me catch the first pitch and I told them like I didn't want to do it unless he wanted to yeah he's he's notorious for for leaving his car running in the parking lot when he throws out the first pitch like this is this is so God's honest truth like 
he will go out and throw out the first pitch and and he will literally throw the pitch walk off the field straight to his car and leave like he like <laughs> he doesn't stay around he goes to bed at like five o'clock in the afternoon he's just like he's the ultimate routine person he does the same thing day in and day out it's just what he does well, yeah, and that's why he had success. As as we were, we were just talking about routines, like he stuck to his routine for twenty three years and just did it. Did he did he stick around and watch that game, or did or did he go home after he threw the first pitch to you? I, I think he stuck around for like my first at bat, and then he left. And I hit a homer in my third at bat. So he, I think he was home by the time I hit it. Which was, did he watch it on TV? Did he know? Listen to the radio? I don't know. Probably, he probably watched it on TV and was sleeping halfway through it. I don't know. <laughs> that's so funny man yeah so outside of baseball you're very very interesting guy kind of like me um i love golf also i grew up we didn't talk about this last time but like i grew up around horses and uh, a ranch both of my my parents like do like rodeo stuff like all that yeah so i've i've kind of gotten like Have, have they run into mason saunders at all mason saunders actually i've been actually trying to get him on the onto the podcast um with, we know I know some people through him and we've talked through people but never like never like we're 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 talking about Madison Bumgarner here but um I haven't actually talked to him about it but and I haven't ran I'll into give, him I'll give you I'll give you a quick story about Bum um that you'll love you'll get a kick out of this so we get to I get called up and the first like first person I see like I find my locker and I turn around the first person I see is Buster Posey and like we make eye contact and I'm like, oh, this is, I'm like starstruck, you know? Like he just comes right up to me, like shakes my hand, says welcome and bums right behind him. And we're like, we make eye contact and I'm like, oh shit, that's bum. And like, you can see how like fiery and competitive bum is on the mound. And we make eye contact and he just like walks straight by me. Like doesn't say a word, doesn't say like congrats or hi or anything like that. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. And I'm not the guy to go up to someone like, and in my mind, I'm like, he's got to get ready. You know, he's got to do his routine. I'm sure he's super busy. So like, don't bother him. So I just like, we don't say a word to each other. So five weeks later, we still haven't said a word to each other. (laughs) I've been on the team for five weeks and we haven't said a word to each other. And I'm like, all right. So then we go to LA. My wife has a horrible Uber experience. And so him and him and his wife decide that they'll give her a ride home. And so like, I have no rec, like I have no idea this is going on. They leave, you know, early and I get back to the hotel and Paige is like, Oh, you know, I met Madison. He's so great. He's so nice. And I was like, well, how'd you meet him? She's like, well, they gave me a ride home. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Like now I have to, like, I have to go thank him. Like I have to talk to him. Like I'm so intimidated. Like I can't do that. Like, why would you do that? And she's like, no, like I said, thank you. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do anything. I'm like, no, I have to. Mm -hmm. So we're in, we're in, we get to Arizona that next night and I see him sitting on the couch and I went early. So no one was there and he's sitting on the couch. So I go and sit next to him. I go, Hey man, thanks for giving my wife a ride home. Uh, You know, it was just a, a really bad experience in LA. And he just turns his head and looks at me. He's like, yeah, man, people suck. And I was like, yep. And then I just got up and walked away. <laughs> and that was, that was the first time we talked to each other. And then I robbed a homer for him like a few days later. And we were like, boys. <laughs> so it was like hilarious. He's a guy that like, 
he's awesome, awesome, awesome. Once you get like in his circle and kind of, he puts up like a little wall and I don't, I don't blame him for it. Cause you know, like all those world series and being just an absolute stud, you get a lot of attention that you don't like. And he's a, he's a country boy, you know, he likes his privacy and he likes to just spend his time with family. And I respect the shit out of that, you know? And yeah. so it was, it was cool to kind of break that barrier, but he loves telling that story to people. Like he would drag <laughs> me into the kitchen and be like, Hey, Hey, tell them, didn't we not talk for five weeks? I'm like, yep, we didn't talk for the first five weeks. I was yeah, like, how many times do you want me to tell this? <laughs> how'd you, uh, how'd you find out about Mason Saunders? Um, I think I found out about it on like when they came out with that article. Oh really? Yeah. That was written like what? an article about it. Yeah. It was pretty recently. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah, that's like, uh, you know, kind of what I grew up doing and stuff. And so I, I kind of lived like almost two different lives. Like, you know, country, you know, like I would like, I, I knew how to do all like the country stuff and like work with my hands, you know, pick up horse crap and ride horses, like rope and everything. And then you know, like, you know, like I played sports, you know, like listen to big, uh, uh, uh hip hop music, you know, where you know, like this, like the sneakers and all that stuff. And then I'd come home, you know, change out of my, out of my Jordans or I could, we, we, we couldn't afford Jordans when I was little, but, you know, change out of my like, hip hop clothes and put on my boots and stuff. And then I would, you know, go outside like that's That's kind of how it is. And um, I kind of feel you're like that, too. I don't I don't know if you're like if you're like country, but you like a lot more things than just you know, like baseball, like, yeah. you know, into surfing. Love the ocean. Uh, uh, played hockey as a kid. Grew up uh, other sports. You're in into Wim Hof, which is like some oh, yeah. some, some you know, like crazy stuff. Love golf, and I think me and you, golf. me and you, me and you have decided that that's by far our favorite sport. Yeah. Out of like all the sports that I love to watch and play growing up, everything by golf is my favorite. And I didn't even get into golf until like I was like twenty. Yeah, I think 20 years old, like, yeah. and I got drafted, I could like buy my own clubs and all this. And then it was history. All I wanted to do was play golf after that. Isn't that so empowering when you can like, like get your own set of clubs for the first time? Like you don't have to rent, you don't have to bug anyone. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like this amazing feeling. And I was kind of the same way. Like I, I grew up going to golf camp when I was little and I think it was like, it, it was like camp when you're a kid, you know, it's basically like, your parents are like, get the hell out of the house. Like, I don't, I need a break, mm. you know? And so I used to do that, but then I tried out for my high school golf team and it was at this like little nine hole course. And I went out and shot like 56 and I'm like, I'm never coming back ever again. And I just left. I like, there was like, it was like a full weekend of tryouts and I didn't show up after that. I was so <laughs> embarrassed. I'm like, this is an absolute disgrace. Like, I can't believe I just did this. Like, uh, and I didn't golf for a little while, like for, you know, the next couple of years, I didn't really play a whole lot. I was busy playing baseball. And then my father-in-law and brother-in-law are huge golfers. My father-in-law played in college, played in college. And my brother-in-law was, is a stick. He's like a two. And so he, uh, I started playing with them. And when I started playing, I was probably like a 14, like they would, they, in their mind, like, I don't know if they'll ever admit to this, but they're probably like, damn it, man. Like we have to take your ass out. Like, I don't <laughs> want to, but like, and that was at the point where I was just swinging as hard as I can. Every shot, like didn't know anything. Like couldn't shape typical baseball, typical, yeah, typical like, baseball guy trying to play golf. 
anything within 120 yards, I'm 100% blading it over the green or taking such a big divot that the grass crew is going to come out and like kick me off the course. Like, and so, but then I started to love it, like getting competitive and I had to learn how to play golf playing with those guys. Cause they were so good and knew how to hit all these shots. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And I, I had to learn that. And now I'm finally like at a point where I can like seriously compete with them. And that makes it so much more fun. Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, golf is so hard and it's touch suffer such a tough sport to get good at like there's very very few people that are you know sticks they're like a zero handicap or better and tons of people play golf you know tiger woods is just a guy who he put golf on the map you know he made it cool now like it's seriously one of the biggest sports in the world it's it's crazy yeah. and i i think that's why i love it so much is like i i got I got pretty good at it fast, but it was like the better that I got, the more that I wanted to play and the more that yes. like I wanted to learn. It's like a legitimate addiction. Like the, the more you taste, the more you have to have. Yes. Yeah. And you go out and you play great one, one day and you're like, yes, I got it. Like, I want to go out and play it again. Like I had such a great time. You can literally go play the next day and then just shoot like the worst score ever. Oh, and then thanks. you, and then you tell yourself, I'm done. I'm not playing no more. This shit sucks. It, that happens at least once a month, at least. Yeah. And it's like, but like I, those are my hobbies are all kind of similar, you know, like they're all these very humbling, challenging life experiences like mm -hmm. golfing is so hard then you look at surfing and you look at like the ocean and how humbling it is and how small you are there you have to learn so much about it you have to learn tides you have to learn different breaks you have to learn you know like when i'm standing up how i'm standing up then once you progress past that you have to learn like how to manipulate the board you know i can i can actually turn now i can do all these things and then you start like seeking out getting barreled and like all these things that are just like you can constantly grow but you can be humbled so quickly by them and mm -hmm. there's always a way to grow in them and i think that kind of translates into life and you know as we get older we we can't stop learning we can't stop chasing something and i think that's um super healthy and i think it's very it's fun for me you know and i think that a lot of people end up kind of getting complacent at some point and that like complacency is is essentially what death is you know it's like when you become complacent you might as well just stop you know like what's what's the point if you're not growing or learning or getting better yeah and and i think that's why it's so important like for especially like the youth to play sports and to play multiple sports like they get they get stuck into wanting to get a scholarship at like age nine or ten and it's and it's not even really like the kids who even love it like it's their parents who are like who are like pushing them and you know paying all this money for these lessons and all this you know like analytical statistics and all this and it's like the kid can't even get the ball out of the infield what does he need to worry about you know right. like his launch angle and everything anything for just let him play let him play multiple sports and <clears throat> let him fall now, in love with it you know like you can't force love on someone Yes. And, and just like the different people that you meet and the different interactions, uh, Tony Kemp said that he loved playing, uh, 
multiple sports because like the multiple friend groups that he had mm-hmm. you're like when you play basketball it's like one group of friends and you when you go to play baseball it's like now you got your other group of friends yeah. and you just get to meet and be around so many different different people different types of people and i think baseball is like by far one of the most diverse sports because you have people from all over the world different countries different states and people are so different like i learned so much playing so much by just talking and getting other people's perspectives on life and like how they think how they go how they were raised how they go about their day or 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 uh, approach a game and i think that that's more important than like like any like education that you can get because if you're stuck in the same town same state for your whole life you never really learned anything like you have to get out you have to learn you have to talk to other people get you know people's opinions and there's this massive thing called the world out there you know and like there's there's a reason that there's so many successes and so many failures and like going out and learning that on your own is so powerful and like you get that's how you start to like develop opinions and you get to learn things and you get to understand why people make decisions you get to understand you know like you will change when you get to experience that and i think it's super cool especially in baseball you get it gets brought to you essentially when you when you get into the minor leagues because you have guys from you know i've met guys from japan korea dominican venezuela colombia and you know i actually i hate how like Latin players get all grouped together because they're so different. Like a lot of the guys from the Dominican are so different from guys from Colombia and they're so different from the guys from Venezuela and they're completely different than um, the guys from anywhere else, like in the Caribbean or anywhere else in, you know, South America. Like I, I think it's super cool that you get to learn that and you get to experience it through baseball, something that, you know that you have in common with that person. And even if the the language barrier is tough, it's it's still really cool to gain that perspective. You don't necessarily have to talk to learn about them. You know, when you spend that much time with someone in a locker room, you get to you get to eventually learn about their families and you hear that they have kids that they don't get to see and that they send money home, they take care of their families. Like it's 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 all the same. You know, everybody everybody has their why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, I, I always, I always got along with, uh, with some of the Latin guys and they all are different. Some of them can be really, really showy and they can get you know, like on some people's nerves just because where they grew up, the only thing that they know and the only like success that they think that they can have is by playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And like once that they made, once they've made it, they just think that they're like the best thing ever. And um, like it could be, you know, kind of tough on them where we don't really see it because they're kind of putting on a front that they're you know, like so cool because they have to let all the people know back home that they've made it or like they're successful. And then you have the guys that are just like so humble and just want to learn like so much or so like great. learn the language. Yes. Like there was a guy when I was, my first year we were we were in spring training and uh we didn't really know anybody you know like your first spring training you like it's just like this big huge thing there's like 150 guys like there yeah minor league spring training and then um there was this dominican kid he didn't speak any english 
and we didn't speak hardly any Spanish mm -hmm. and he would hang out with us and we would go eat almost every day. And it was weird. Like we would literally have to communicate like with some broken English, like some broken Spanish, but like, he just loved it. He, he just like loved hanging out with the American guys or just like love getting out. The culture, you know, it's like, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I love it. Um, but okay. About golf and you know, like, you know, like being different and stuff. Are you a, are you a fan of Bryson? Do you like, uh, you like everything that is happening, like how he's kind of changing the game and literally not giving a crap about what anybody else is saying. I'm, I'm indifferent to his style. I admire his will and commitment. You know, like he's, he's incredibly committed to what he's doing. He thinks it's the best thing for him and for his game. I don't necessarily agree, you know, strictly for, for physics reasons. Right. So like, if you're hitting a ball 200 miles an hour and the ball's moving that fast, when you have any sort of side spin or the wrong spin, it's going to be incrementally different than if you're hitting the ball 170 miles an hour. So like your misses are going to be drastic. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be pinpoint precision, it's going to be ridiculous. You know, like he's, nobody will beat him, but those, those like bad shots and, it, you just get yourself into so much trouble, especially when you go to a place like Augusta, like where it's tight and you have trees that are in specific locations. So you can't hit certain shots, you know, and we saw that. And then he's got guys like, <laughs> he's got like three guys in the woods looking for his ball with him, And it's like slowing everything down. I hate his pace though. Like I'm, I'm yeah. a big pace of play guy. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't like just having to wait to hit my shots. And um, like, I, I think it's funny. Like, you know what? Do you know what I would love to see? I would love to see Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka, who are some of the most fast, fast playing guys on tour, paired with him and and have Dustin or or Brooks mic'd up. Oh just to God. like hear what they be, say. It would be phenomenal. Like that Brooks is great. Like, have you listened to any like of, of his podcasts? Like, have you listened oh, to yeah. any of the parts of takes and all that? Like all of them. He he's so funny about it. Because there are guys like that in baseball too. You know, like there are guys that just like don't love baseball that are just really good. And you listen to him talk about it and you can tell he likes golf, but he's like, no, I don't like practicing. Like, I think we should play 13 holes, like all these things. He's like, I get bored sometimes. And so I need to hit these shots just because I'm bored. And he's just that talented. Like there are baseball players that are like that too. And it's funny because I, I can't function like that. Like if I tried to play like that, I would be sent home so quick. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not talented enough to do that, but, but I admire that. But listening to him and DJ would be so funny. Like I can't imagine the comments they'd be making. Like, is there like DJ is just like hunched over his like club, just like really like that deep, slow Southern accent would be hysterical. Especially because those two play and think about the game totally different than, than, than like Bryson does because those two, you know, like are, are athletic and they you know, like have like worked hard and they sometimes don't know how they do it. They just do it. Right? right. And like Bryson is like so precise and he's put in so much work and you know, like I do like um, admire what he's doing. You know, a, 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 you're going to get a lot of, of negative feedback when you do something different. Mm. Like 
he's doing something. He did something different when he came with the one lake clubs and like the way that yeah, he asked you about that. What, like, what do you think about that? You think you could, do you think you could hit one length clubs? I, I think that I could. Yes. But at the same time, I think it's stupid. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it. I'm like, okay, <clears throat> I don't know. Like I kind of, I kind of, I don't, I don't know if I go back and forth on it, but I like what he's doing because it's different and he doesn't really care what, what people say. Um, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people liked uh, a Tiger Woods when he first came. Like they mm-hmm. thought that he was cocky. They thought that, um, you know, first of all, like he was a black guy coming into a white guy sport. He was athletic and ran and lift weights. Nobody else did. Like he got a lot of negative, like, uh, like shit thrown at him that we don't see now because we like, he's the greatest. He's Tiger Woods. But back then it was a lot different. People literally like criticized them and he got ridiculed for running like 30 miles a week or for lifting weights mm-hmm. or, like when he didn't switch, like he stuck in like steel shafts and didn't, you know, switch to graphite. Like, like he got a lot of shit. Like, yes, he's under, under the microscope more because he's the most popular athlete of all time, pretty much. Like everybody watches what, what like Tiger Woods does. Yeah. But anytime that there's a change, people don't like it. So like whatever Bryson's doing, I don't, you know, like I like the long ball. It's fine. I think his swings like, kind of ugly it's so know. ugly and i don't really like watching like how big he is like he looks he looks kind of like a like uh, i know that he looks different on tv than he does in real life like he probably looks like in pretty good shape but he kind of just looks fat swinging like with this straight straight arm yeah swinging out of his ass i can't just... watch him swing <laughs> it's uh, just it like is. It's like one of those things where like I watch it and I'm like, all right, I didn't see that. Don't ever try to imitate that. But like yeah. he but to his to his benefit, like he he has numbers to back it up. You know, like And like, he owns it. And he owns it hundred yeah. percent. It's cool, but like he needs to play faster. Like that's just like that's tired. That's, that's like the guy, thing. that's like a guy walking around like like with the new rule in uh, baseball where like they try and keep the batters in the box and stuff like that. Like you get a guy that like either like swings and misses and then he walks in front and then walks all the way around the umpire and all the way around the circle. And I'm out there. I'm like, like those are the showy guys that just want to be at bat for so long. Cause I hate that. (laughs) It just, it makes me so mad, but I was, I was also like brought up in Vandy. Like we were taught to play quick, you know, like we, we were timed when we would run off the field, like in scrimmages and stuff like that. If we didn't get off the field in eight seconds, then we had to go back onto the field and sprint off again. Like, all oh, these so slow that, pay is just slow play is terrible for you. You oh, hate it because you're, nah, you're getting ready to go now. And plus like when your wife's at home, like you're getting those phone calls, you know, it's like they're used to a four hour round when you're getting to five, five and a half yes. hours, you start getting See, like, I've it. just, I've just kind of like engraved into my wife's brain that golf is an all day thing. Oh yeah. Like I've, I've got it set and okay. Listen to this. You're going to, you're going to love this. So she, she owes me for life. So like when it, Perfect. when it like comes to golf, so listen to this. Um, when uh, uh, Gary Woodland won the U S open last year, um, I said, Hey, Tootie, I, that's what I call her Tootie. I said, do you remember that time when um, I told you that I had a chance to go play with a, a, a PGA Tour guy and a, a, a Brian McCann and a, a Will Harris? We were all going to go play um, like at the Floridian, but I had to go pick you up from the airport because you said that you 
were too scared to take an Uber. Remember that guy? This is him winning the U.S. Open right now. No. Yeah. Uh, you're a good husband, man. Oh, you're a good I'm, husband. I'm the best. So now she lets me, whenever I golf, she just has it in her mind that it's like an eight-hour thing. I'll, and I'll see you when you get home. Works out perfect. Yeah, it's great. So, like, if we play a, a, quick, uh, a quick round, I'm like, hey, I still got three, th- three more hours, boys. What do you want to do? Either another nine or a 19th hole, one of the two. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, <clears throat> you, I, like, bottom line is, like, you just got to find a way to play with Gary Woodland again somehow, some way. I do, yeah, I know. I bet, she, if you, I bet if you have him on the podcast and you tell him that story, he'll invite you. I do. I think that – I think that I just need to get like get like the trend going that this happened and I need to get him on the podcast and then he needs to fly me out to his favorite course and have me play with him. I think that that's only fair. I think you're right. I think that's that would be full circle and then you would still play eight hour round. Yeah. Like that wouldn't I don't I, I don't know how I don't know how I I I didn't go. He's he's one of my favorite golfers too. Like you know, like I've liked him for a long time because he's athletic, played basketball. I was a big basketball guy when I was a kid. And yeah. And then I and, and, and then I get to hear their stories about the guys playing with him. Like, oh yeah, you should have seen this this like drive that he hit on this hole the other day. Oh. And I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Stop. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what I would say. That's no, I like no more. Yeah, I would always say that. Just stop. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Just stop. I didn't get to meet him though. That was that was kind of cool. cool. It was like, oh hey, how you doing? Like, that's it. but you know, that's hey man, that's have cool. a good round today. I'll I, I'll see you later. Exactly, exactly. So what? So you do like golfing better than surfing? Yeah, I do. Pretty is it pretty close or like pretty significant more? It's close. So I'll describe it like this. Like I. I get way more opportunities to golf than I get to surf. So if I had both as an option, I would go surf. Um, just because surfing is, you don't get to decide when the waves are coming to, which is kind of cool. You know, it's, it's mother, you know, you just, yeah, it's not up to you. And if it comes in the right swell at the right angle with the right wind, it's, it's on, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have to just kind of jump at the bit, um, which is why, that's why surfers get that like it's why they have to be laid back but why they get that like very like negative connotation of being these like laid back kind of stoners who don't do anything it's like well their their livelihood depends on the weather you know it's like you can't you can't decide when you can be at the right place you know you just yeah. have to be available and then when it happens you got to get there exactly like a great day with great great waves comes along a little a little less often than it does getting to go play a course unless unless you have have the search surf ranch right at your backyard yeah. which i kind of do i'm not a surfer and it's very hard to get on um, i think you should but i'm a surfer yeah i mean i have a little bit i i mean i've been out there but i'm not like crazy about it probably because i'm not very good if i was then i don't know we'd have to see i i i told you that uh austin Keene story last time yeah. And I like how he how he like skimboarded in there and they literally told him that he that he couldn't do it, that like it was like the worst thing for the wave, whatever it is. But he was like, nah, I got I got like one chance or the I think like the workers said, like, hey, we're just going to look this way and you do what you got to do. One chance. Have you seen that video of him? Oh, yeah. 
I watch all his videos. Like he's unbelievable and super yeah. creative too. Like to take something as as simple as skimboarding and to turn it that interesting. Like mm-hmm. it's incredible how how far it's developed. Like when I was a kid, skimboarding was always just like you find a really flat beach with like barely any water and you go skimboard. You know, like yeah, fun. yeah. But these guys are like legitimately surfing with skimboards. It's yeah. Cool. And that's what, and, and, and that's also one of the things that people don't get to see is they don't see like all the work that he does behind the scenes to create all these videos or to like practice or, you know, like how he stays in shape or um, like how he studied that wave at the surf ranch for like 30 minutes and like practice and like timed it. Like all of that prep went into like a minute of him, like riding this wave. Right. And, and it was, and it was great. I think that that's why like his, his videos and all the stunts that he does are so great because he puts so much thought and so much like prep into what he does. Yeah. So it's a full, full time affair. Like if, if you, if you see one of his videos where, you know, like when he's in Turks and Caicos and like going from one wake to the other, like that's an all day thing. That's not like, he's just like, they just happen to be videoing him and then he does it out on a whim. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's thought out. It's precise. It's calculated. Yeah. And it's, or the newest one where they like tow him through, he goes like through that tunnel and then there's another boat out on the there. other like side. The, Dude, that was wild. Dude, it's freaking so sick. The guy's amazing. Pretty decent golfer too. I got to golf with him. He used my driver and I was like, Hey man, you need to like hit up one of these companies. They'll for sure. You like oh, yeah. hook, hook you up with a fitting, everything you need. And he goes, Oh yeah, for sure. I just hate doing that though. Like, you know, like reaching out to people. I was like, dude, people would love to have you like, yeah. you know, like represent their clubs or whatever it is. Where, where'd you play with them? Uh, we went down to LA. It was a course called, um, like, uh, I don't know, Tajara Ridge or Creek or something like that. It's just, a, it, it was, it was a decent course, but one of, one of my good friends that I grew up is like, almost like one of his, his like best friends now. So we went down there, played golf, um, got to meet him, hang out, you know, just, just kind of see his life, dude. F- okay. Uh, a funny story. And we'll kind of, we'll, we'll kind of get out. We don't want to get into Joe Rogan five hour podcast land, but so we played golf um, and we teed off late, late in the afternoon, like two or three. And I was actually going to drive home like right after we played because I had I had somewhere to be the next morning. Actually, I had a rope in to go to that next morning. So I was just going to drive all night straight there. Um, but afterwards, like we were all hungry and I was like, yeah, let's eat. And, and they were like, let's go get sushi. And we like, we like call our wives and they're like, yeah, we want sushi. They go to this place. It's closed. It's like nine o'clock, right? 830, about nine o'clock. So most of them are closing or they're like already closed. And then um, Austin King goes, let's go, uh, let's go to this place. Like I, I, I know it, it's good. And then, so like I have my wife call and they're like, no, it's closed. We can't, can't do it, whatever it is. And then, uh, so we're trying all these places, all of them are closed or they're like about to close. And um, my buddy calls us and he's like, Hey, we're going to go to, um, to this place. Like Austin knows the owner, like they're going to have us in. It's good. This, this like place is already closed. And we're like, all right, cool. And we like show up the, the place is closed. We have like the whole restaurant to ourselves what? and yeah. And they were just like, Oh, um, like, uh, uh, anything for Austin. We love Austin. And we just like <laughs> sat there and ate for like an hour afterwards and they, they just loved it. Cause he just goes there all the time. So we were just like, wow perks of hanging out with a celebrity in his in his in his own town 
that that blue light the blue check mark life right there blue check mark life yeah he he's he's awesome dude too man he'll he like helps out he was trying to man like he's so entertaining he's a good he's like super cool dude yeah yeah super cool like he was he was kind of like trying to he he told me you know how like the algorithm works on on like instagram and and you know, like youtube and stuff because that's what you have to do to be successful in that industry you have to know like how it works for your, for your stuff to get out there and you know he was he was nice enough to do the podcast with me and um you know kind of talk about his life and and how he came he actually grew up in georgia and then he like yeah learned learned how to skimboard in georgia with like no waves nothing he's really? got like yep got like dreads you know kind of sticking out like a sore thumb over there you know kind of grew up you know, like in the south a little bit more conservative and and then like he comes out here because he saw a video of like these waves just breaking right on the shore and he's like i want to go do that he's probably out of the wedge that's he goes out there all yeah the time. exactly so then he came all the way over here and like he did it and he just you know grinded like that's cool. worked a couple of jobs like did this um he had like this old car you, you know his car that red bmw that he has yeah yeah so he ended up selling that one and then bought the same one back like he sold it because he needed money like working these jobs and then bought the same one back probably like two or three years ago and then like okay. like fully restored it it's pretty good it's a great op- episode if you haven't heard it go check it out it'd be great because yeah. yeah he's that's the, those like we were saying last time we talked about this a little bit but like you you start like progressing in your career and your life and there are people that like you aspire to like meet or hang out with and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they're like my two groups of people that like any way that I can get connected to them would be like unreal. So I, I have like a funny, like fanboy, um, like little story. I, I'm a huge Kyle Lenny fan and he's like the ultimate, ultimate waterman, like big wave surfing at Nazare jaws, like, kite surfing you know he's got this new like wing surfing thing all the foils everything he like he does it he won these like stand-up paddleboard competitions where he'd go like i think it was from i think it was from maui to lanai or the other way around one of the two and so he he like won that when he was like 13 or 14 years old like crazy and so i sent him i got called up and I saw that he was doing a signing in, uh, in San Francisco. Cause he goes out to Mavericks all the time. And I'm like, dude, whatever. Like, I'm just going to send him a message on Instagram and see if he responds. And I was like, Hey man, like if you want to come to a game, whatever, let me know. Like absolutely show card, loser show card. card Like this is the only time I've ever done it. And he like, he responded though. He was like, Oh, I would love to, but we're, you know, we're out of town. We're heading out of town tonight. And I was like, Oh, that was, I was like, that was actually kind of cool. Like you responded, like it was sick. Like, but it's like, it's funny. Like you, you like aspire these people because of how, how like cool their life is and what they do is inspiring. And, um, he just seems to have like such a good head on his shoulders. And like, if you can step up to a 80 foot wave and ride it and like not be scared of the consequences, like obviously there's fear involved, but, um, to have the mental capacity to do that, like being able to sit down with people like that and learn from them would be so cool to translate into baseball and to like figure out how you can take a similar mindset or, you know, any sort of technique into that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Golf. Like, you know, these guys are just like putting for $300,000. Like it, mm-hmm. one putt can be, you know, I'm either walking out of here with like 1.5 or I'm walking out of here with 800,000. Exactly. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you hit the right stroke in that? Yeah, I think I, I I think that it does pressure some like more than others. The the ones that are there all the time know that they're going to be there and have another chance. The the ones that aren't that maybe have like one win on tour, you know that it's a lot a lot more nerve wracking for them. But mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of them, especially like in baseball, and I know you that like you think about you know like a a tough time or like pressure situation you're like i made it through the minor leagues like i can make it through this and you're like i made it through my dad passing away i can get through this game and it's because that you have dealt with those hard situations and you put yourself through those like tough mental times that you can handle anything you know that's why like we train and work out so hard it's not you you like to be in shape to be able to throw a ball it's like to be strong mentally also so the during those tough times when they come, it's, it's like, you know, we can look back and be like, you know, I got through all this, you know, I got through the minor leagues, like driving buses, you know, working out when I didn't want to work out, like lifting weights when I didn't want to, like, like I've already done all the hard stuff. This is the stuff that I get to enjoy. And then you enjoy it. And then you actually have success at it. Yeah. That's it. The, the problems that, that you face become a shrink, you know, that, they, they once would have looked like a huge problem. And then after you get through those real, real big ones, they, they look tiny. Exactly. Exactly. You're the man. Yes. Thank you for, uh, for doing this again. Take two. Anytime. It was fun. Almost more fun than the first one. You bet.